Welcome to Neoweek Audio, a collection of podcasts and Twitter spaces produced and curated by Neoweek, the number one news and community platform for the Neo Protocol and the Aurora ecosystem. At neoweek.com slash podcasts, you can find every interesting audio piece from the community in one place. We curate content on topics such as DeFi, NFTs, gaming, DAOs, community hangouts, and more. Basically, we got you covered near fam. And without further ado, let's dig in. How's everyone doing? Doing well, as always. It's uh, been a pretty good week, pretty productive. And, you know, we've actually had some pretty good guests lined up recently for near night. And, uh, yeah, there's going to be a good one as well. Yeah, I'm just uh, out here in Montana, sitting out at a little coffee shop outside. So the vibes are great. Awesome, awesome. And it looks like we have um, Plato Evolved um, joining us as well. What's going on, man? Yeah, yeah, we're all good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having us on here. Um, we've also got uh, uh, perhaps behind the uh, Rogues account here. And uh, yeah, we've got lots of cool stuff to talk about. Awesome. It's great to um, check back in and, and hang out again, guys. It's It's been a few weeks, but i um, very excited to see what, what you guys have been up to. And I'm just um, had some issues with my computer, um, but I'm, I'm pulling up my agenda right now. Just give me a sec. But I guess before we we start, how how have you been? How um, how have the last couple of weeks been? Um, what are your um, what are your thoughts on the the state of of I guess blockchain gaming right now? Would be a good place to start. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll go first, and then I'm sure um, perhaps can from the Rogues account or um, talk a bit. But um, yeah, uh, we've just, to be honest, I mean, I'm in, I'm in builder mode, so I've had my head down. I haven't really had a chance to sort of look around the ecosystem as much as I'd like. Um, but I, I'm mostly come from a gamer side of things, so I play a lot of games and. Um, 
you know keep my hand in there and uh yeah we're building we're building a lot so um working through the weekends um doing a lot of cool stuff in rogues at the moment yeah um i'll just say really quickly i've been seeing a lot of progress from you guys following your twitter you guys have been putting out lots of cool updates i've been seeing the game um as you know, we had a Spaces with Rogues a while ago, and I was able to check out the game and get mint my free NFT, and it was really playable back then. But you guys have been adding a lot of sense, oh, sorry, a lot of stuff since then. So it's really cool to see the evolution of the game on Near and as you're developing it. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, it's um, super impressive, and uh, you know, it seems like Rogues are absolutely one of the upper echelon. Um, game dev teams in the near ecosystem and i think we we're all aware of you know just the the turbulence that we all encounter in the realm of of web3 kind of the sentiment of of users um, participants um waning coming back and it it's it's difficult sometimes and um yesterday we were talking with one of our developers who um, also, um, works a bit with Play Ember and just kind of was getting his his thoughts on the ecosystem and how they're sort of positioning themselves. It seems like they're really um, hunkered down into their their mobile gaming um, division, where they can you know kind of continue to grow there and 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 wait out everything with Web three. So it's just it's really kind of cool to see how everyone's positioning themselves. But I guess just like thinking about it from in outreach and growth perspective, how, how, how do the rogues approach reaching out to users? We have the, the crypto native, we have our gamers in, in Web3, but we also have a world of, you know, millions, billions of gamers that, that really aren't in tune with Web3 gaming yet. And I'm just curious how you guys are, are looking at that as far as where you're, where you're spending your resources and, and trying to acquire new users versus just you know building the community that that we already have yeah no i think that's an excellent question i i think it's it is a little bit tricky on the marketing side because yeah you have the sort of web three um uh people that believe in web three and then you have the gamers and a lot of gamers don't you know they're, they're not really interested in um blockchain games and so it is sometimes quite tricky to find the sort of overlap between the two um i think uh obviously the first place to look is um gamers that are playing um web3 games and that there are a lot of web3 games out there that that have been pretty successful and so i think we're we're kind of starting there really having a look at games that are um, that have been successful, that are on Polygon or on there. Um, uh, you know, there's there's more obviously on Polygon than on there at the moment. Hopefully, that will, you know, the near game ecosystem will grow as we move forwards. Um, and of course, you know, as the tools get better, you know, it's one of the pushes, you know, reasons why I worked so hard on the uh, near a near Unity API. Um, to try and sort of uh, make things a little bit easier for other devs coming in behind me. 
Um, but uh, yeah, it is a marketing challenge um, and we're still kind of figuring that bit out. But um, we're definitely sort of looking at other, you know, communities, you know, gamer slash Web3 uh, communities that, um, that uh, you know, we can approach. And, you know, we have a game that's playable. And um, so that sort of <laughs> puts us in a nice position. Absolutely. And it, and it seems like, you know, obviously there there's a, a sector of, of users and gamers that are interested in Web3 gaming for a lot of the um, blockchain native aspects like digital ownership, um, tokenized ecosystems, et cetera. But for people that's not, it, it seems like you could go pretty far with just talking about the game experience, right? And, and not having, maybe not having a lot of the the nomenclature and and just kind of words that people are used to hearing in crypto maybe removing those and just focusing on the game experience would be the best way to onboard that that new group of users that that might be a bit um reluctant to start playing web3 games but that, that's something that i've you know i'm just always interested in kind of hearing where where we're at as far as people's level of interest and and just sentiment because to me it it's always just been surprising um that that gamers have been a bit reluctant to really go all in on on web3 gaming although i do understand um kind of the reasons why people um do feel that way but before we we get too ahead of ourselves um it's easy for us to just jump right in because we have um, had the privilege to talk with the rogues team um, so many times but for everyone in the audience that might not have, have joined a Rogues AMA yet, maybe we can just um, start with some intros real quick and then we can go in from there. Yeah, sure. So I'll quickly introduce myself, then um, perhaps can introduce himself. Um, so I'm CTO of uh, Rogue Studio. Um, we're a studio that focuses on creating a, a kind of suite of post-apocalyptic um, games, um, um, a sort of flagship game is World of Rogues. It's a MMO RPG. It's currently playable. We stream every single day. Uh, we stream to YouTube, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, all over the place. Um, we, I, I try and play every day with the community, um, get, you know, community feedback is very important to us. Um, and so, yeah, I've been uh, a game dev for over 20 years, um, mostly a Unity dev, but I've done Unreal as well. And, um, yeah, really got into blockchain uh, a couple of years ago. And, uh, yeah, it's been a great ride. Love it. And, and over to the Rogues account. Yeah, what's up? So I'm perhaps I'm the head of community of Rogues, and well, right now I'm I'm in the Rogues Twitter account, and yeah, as, as a head of community, you know, I make sure that people enjoy their time not only in Discord but on the games, you know, understand what our community wants right for the game, listen to their suggestions, you know, maybe some ideas for the game. We're always glad to listen to those and even implement them. Just have how we've done it before with like some in-game items that have been done by the community. So yeah, I'm I'm in charge of you know the community side of of the gaming studio. Got it. And 
I'm I'm curious for for Web three. The community element is so critical. It's critical, no matter what type of project startup you're you're building. Um, the community are your first users. They're your early evangelists. They're really the lifeblood that enables increased marketing efforts, impact, and I'm not sure if that is necessarily the same in the traditional world um, where we can look at non-Web3 related startups or even in games. I'm curious if the impact of community is still very important outside of Web3 or do, do you think this is a, a more Web3 centric idea that we've built? Yeah, well, sadly, right now it is, right? You know, these Web2 companies, well, especially the AAA game companies, like, they don't really listen to their community. They only listen to their pockets, right? They only pay attention to the community if the stocks start going down. So as of right now, like, it's only Web3-centric, but, you know, hopefully that changes in the future, right? Hopefully we can set up that example for the Web2 game studios. And, yes, yeah, of Web3, like, it's super important because... Like the the whole thing about Web three, it's about community being transparent, people being able to talk with founder founders with game developers, you know, share ideas, share the thoughts, and in like Web two, for example, Call of Duty, you know, the developers only listen to that community when the community start making a lot of noise, but it's usually negative noise. So, oh, this gun is overpowered. Oh, this map sucks. Blah blah blah. Only then they start to listen. We want to listen before we build, right? We want to understand what our community likes and what they want to see in our games. Yeah, I mean, that's a, really a perfect answer. And when we think about it in, in Web3, people actually have skin in the game for the success of the communities that they're in. There's different elements, levers that people can pull to really partake in, in the adventure, not only from just a, a user standpoint, but owning the digital assets in, in sort of the, the genesis timeframes that, of course, can appreciate if, if the game is successful. And so enabling the community members to um, have have a, a strong role in potentially the success, I think that's, that's one of the strongest layers of a success that I see in Web3. I think that 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 can really help create some incredible um, startups and, and just overall um, evolutions in, um, in, the, in, in the times to come. But for, for Plato, you've been in the, the game environment for, for 20 plus years. And so what about from your perspective? How, how have you seen that change? And, and do you agree that, that communities are, are not as critical to development of games outside of Web3? Um, I think it's become more important, and I think um, I think it's the indie devs that have seen the importance of uh, community before AAA, really. Um, so there's a lot of sort of smaller studios that do um, do the design process uh, with the community. I'm thinking of um, they're probably not that small anymore, but they started off fairly small. Amplitude Studios. Um, you know, they're a good example. Um, they sort of 
show the game quite early in development, um, maybe not quite as early as we've shown our game, but fairly early. And then they get a lot of um, sort of interaction with the community. And, and so that's always been really nice, nice to see. Um, so it's, it's not... It's not as much as Web3, but definitely it's something that's uh, happening more and more. Right. And just with the social media and, and things that are kind of brought to the market, it, it does make sense that communities are, are able to be formed a lot easier. We have subreddits and forums and so many other things that enable people to congregate together over a, a shared thing whatever that thing is but uh, you know we still in web3 have have that ability for people to really kind of come together and share in in the success and, and i think that that is an element that is specific to web3 that, that's very important um but brandon i think you had your hand up if you have a question um i actually had had it up earlier but you kind of asked the exact questions i was looking for i was I was going to maybe say that I think that the reason gamers are a little bit skeptical of some of the Web3 stuff is because they're not convinced that it's going to enhance their game. Maybe it's going to take away. We've seen some of the developers focus on uh, using Web3 blockchain technology to kind of make these monetization processes that are just a little bit, they don't really add anything. However, there is a whole bunch of ways in which blockchain technology can can enhance video games for users it really can make it so that you know the player is able to take control of their assets rather than being lost forever i mean we've talked about it many times but yeah that's all i was going to comment on yeah um you know and I, I think we we didn't get a good sample size in the beginning of blockchain gaming in that first um bull run of, of successful and well well accommodated experiences. I think that they were primarily revolving around monetization versus value. And in most cases, when NFT collections or player and tokens were released, that was happening well in advance of the actual game coming to market and in that 2021 timeframe. And that, that, that left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth. I mean, Certainly me as well. I, I was able to have some fun, but um, at the same time, I think that most of the people were taken advantage of, and that's just part of the process. Now, it's been two years, and the teams that are here that have continued to build, I think now we're in a much better place for real impactful blockchain games to come to market. And I think from kind of my perspective, it seems like, there will be a really big sentiment change once like there will be a pivotal moment that everything clicks for, for gamers and just for people that understand, okay, now, now I know why I want to actually own my assets and I think having a, a connection to a game that also enables you to have, you know, these, these tokenized economies, but having that that strong connection that's outside of any financial incentives will will really be what's critical for that success. And I think that the the game that Doctor Disrespect is is developing could mark that pivotal moment for the entire space, just based on his 
his existing audience and the the value that he's already created i think that that will be passed over to his game and and everything inside of that game as well and so that's what i'm looking at for like potentially a really pivotal moment for blockchain gaming to start its its next adoption curve but i'd like to hear from you guys if, if you disagree or you think that it's not going to be a one thing that really marks that that next really big movement in um, excitement it, it maybe it'll be more gradual I think um, I think that the technology is improving all the time, right? And it's getting to a point now, um, like uh, our second game, Heroes of the Flow. I'm essentially um, hardly even talking about the blockchain elements, but the blockchain elements are a massive part of that game. Uh, normally, if you're you're doing a game where you're having to do multiplayer and, and track people's progress and everything. You need to write a back end, right? Um, you need to write as, you know, have it on a server, maybe a Node.js server and, you know, track all that stuff in a database. And actually you can now, the technology, blockchain technology now is so good that you can kind of replace all that black back end with a blockchain. And, um, that's only fairly recent, really. And, and then also, you know, sort of easy onboarding so that you don't have to force people to log in with a wallet and actually have existing funds in that wallet before you can do anything. You know, that's getting better and better. So um, I think the, just the improvements in the technology, the speed, the onboarding, et cetera, um, is, is going to eventually get developers on board because you can actually save quite a bit of money as a developer. I don't have to pay for a backend server anymore. And um, the costs are actually a lot bit, quite a bit cheaper on some of these, um, you know, uh, newer blockchains. So um, that's going to, once more and more developers discover that, they'll start using blockchains a lot more. Right. And, and I think that's, that's certainly aligned with, I'm looking at it's it's the consistent improvement in experience and technology combined with a a pivotal moment of just eyes on a new game excitement coming in from 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 a, just kind of a, a big thing that I think will really will set off the um, the next movement in, in blockchain gaming but yes of course that that consistently improving foundation of experience and technology will be what really enables that to happen. Um, and, and just kind of dialing it back and, and looking into rogues. We've talked a lot about the game before, but I think it would be good to just start with a, a quick overview of the rogues and then we can, we can continue to, to go in deeper and, and talk about all of the recent updates. Yeah, I think uh, I'll let perhaps talk about this one. Yep. So, well, our flagship game, it's called World of Rogues, and it's what we've been playing each day. Uh, we have two gaming sessions. And in World of Rogues, well, it's a post-apocalyptic game where players get to survive, right? By gathering resources, forming alliances, go fishing, 
crafting, which will come very soon, and many more mechanics to be added. So as of right now, we are on season one, where there's a leaderboard, and uh, top 30 players in the leaderboard will get a thousand foxy pesos, which will then turn into our uh, future token called rogues. Top 20, they get... Uh, top 10, they get a, a name inscribed in a statue in Volkart that will stay in the game forever. And top 20... Morgan, can you remind me what was top 20? Uh, <laughs> I'm blanking. <laughs> um... Well, yeah, yeah, there's a reward for top 22, so don't worry. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, the important takeaway from that is you're actually incorporating the players <clears> into the game and having that that place where, where people can come back and especially looking at these, like, day zero achievements. Um, that's really cool, being able to have your username, your, your near address inscribed into a statue or something because you are playing and, and you're playing well. That, that's that's really awesome and, and I think that's gonna have a, a pretty strong impact on how people you know want to express themselves within the game yeah definitely so that's why we're doing that right because we we all we're also thankful to those people showing support so that's one way we're gonna say thanks to them by having their name there in the game forever right and I just remember what top 20 is so top 20 people will have the right to buy land in Volkart. So these lands, we have yet to talk about uh, what the utility will be, but we want it to be more than just a land that you hold, right? We want it to have in-game utility where people can interact with it and have a lot of benefits, right? Not only staking or something like that. We want to do something big for land. So that's also a big price. And yeah, that's right now for Season 1. So Season 1 will end when all the quests are finished. And these quests are global, right? Like they're, they are not individual quests. So, for example, there's a quest that you need to gather wood, uh, 10, 10 wood per quest, and it's a thousand quests, but that, that quest is shared with all the players in the server. So that's uh, one way we're implementing the social aspect, also by having a chat, having emotes, being able to change clothes. Uh, right now, it's only available with Polygon, but Morgan is working on a way to implement Polygon in-game items so that near holders can also use them, right? So if you have a near Genesis NFT, but your in-game items are on Polygon, you will be able to use them anyways. So Morgan is working on that, and you know our community awesome. is very excited for it. Yeah, and and also um, Morgan, just uh, probably not too important right now, but for Jump DeFi, we actually developed a bridge um, to transfer tokens between um, near and and Mantle network. So we were able to to do a bridge for fungible tokens. So I think. Uh, between near and polygon um, should be very doable and maybe we can even um, you know get together offline and and talk about that process for for fungible tokens see if there's anything we can support um, for the polygon side but uh, love to hear those updates guys um, the the fact that there's exciting ways for for players to spend their time and and gain value that's outside of earning tokens and, and digital assets, like being able to complete quests, do well and and get your, your username landmarked on into the game ecosystem. Those types of value drivers that are not driven by, you know, a, a fiat bottom line is, is so important to have. And when I hear about a post-apocalyptic game with 
this the elements of, of foraging and questing it kind of makes me think about like fallout and runescape like if you took fallout and runescape and combine them into a, a kind of shared experience that's that's kind of what what sticks out to me how how um how far off the off the ball am i there comparing comparing those two games to rogues yeah not far at all so those are some games that we're inspired by we also uh like uh, club penguin for the social aspect you know uh Havo too and anna and morgan they really enjoy indie games like don't starve together uh, Darkest Dungeon, and many more where they have taken inspiration not only for the art, but also for game mechanics. Got it. And um, I've been, uh, I was blocked a couple times on Club Penguin for um, for my language use back in like fourth grade. Is, is that going to be a, a filter in Rogues? <laughs> Will I be able to say the F word? Well, I think that's a question for Morgan, right? I don't see an issue, right? Because I also got banned in Club Penguin for that. But yeah, maybe maybe Morgan has a different opinion. I'll basically just search for a delay or uh, perhaps and I'll just block you just to be on the safe side. Yeah, that's probably the best, the best way to go about it. <laughs> um, this is a question that I'd like to hear, obviously, from the Rogues team, but also Brandon as well, because Brandon is um, one of the most uh, time-spending but also su um, successful gamers that, that I'm friends with. So I know he has probably a pretty good perspective on this. But looking at indie gaming and comparing it to like AAA gaming, obviously with computers, our consoles, they continue to improve with their hardware. You get AAA gaming experiences that are just incredibly striking visually, all of those things that we see with the you know the highest valuation games today. But indie games are still so valued and, and played by, by many people, and they don't have the large budget, the the top of the line graphics. But that doesn't necessarily affect the experience. In fact, it it might complement it in some regards. And I'm, I'm curious about how you guys see indie gaming evolving alongside AAA games with hardware improvements and, and how that will impact how indie games play. And will it, will it make a difference on the graphics and kind of the, the current maybe expectations that we have around um, indie games today? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll say something really quickly. Um, so I would say what kind of makes an indie game is that at the soul, it's like a bunch of creativity. It's innovation that the developers want to bring forward in a game. And I think being that they're a smaller team, that often takes the form in gameplay or world crafting or things that don't necessarily require hundreds of developers to have the best looking graphics. I think that um, it's shown time and time again that games that have soul can perform ridiculously well. This happens all the time. It's been happening. I mean, that's why there's such a huge indie market. And I think that most people are kind of getting a little fed up with some of these AAA games being rushed and created. Yeah, they have good graphics and all of the 
all of the tropes and things that big uh, focus groups say people want, but it's kind of it's kind of missing the mark. I think that gaming, besides obviously some of like the bigger games like Call of Duty and and those franchises, I think that a lot of people are still open to games that just have that passion behind them from developers. That's why I really I really do enjoy games like this. You can see that there's um, time and care taken in the art style, um, things like that. So, I, yeah, I mean, not to not to spend too too long on this, but there is a game recently called Battlebit, and it's an example of an indie game. It literally looks like Roblox, and it is like the one of the most played games right now. It made millions of dollars because the gameplay is great, but the graphics are terrible. So I think that really gamers just want a good experience. Chat, clear that. That was a great response. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's funny because I just bought that game last night and I started playing it. And yeah, it's amazing, right? Like, to be honest, I've, I'm more of a gameplay guy instead of graphics, uh, especially when it comes to competitive games, right? For example, Counter-Strike, I drop the graphics all the way to low because I get more frames, blah, 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 right? So I've always focused more on gameplay. And yeah, you're totally right. And me personally, like, Indie games to me is also like art, right? Like it's a a way of these game developers to express themselves by gameplay, by unique art style or unique mechanics. And I appreciate that way more than a big company with millions of dollars that just care about selling battle passes or these bundles of skins that don't really bring value to the game, right? So that's why I appreciate indie gaming way more. I think it's also important to point out, right, that indie doesn't necessarily mean small, right? As part as, uh, you know, when looking at something like revenue, right? So um, Notch, um, who wrote Minecraft um, initially single-handedly and then a fairly small team, sold to, my, to Microsoft for $2.5 billion. Um, RimWorld, which is an amazing game, single developer, uh, $100 million in revenue. So, you know, some people, when they think indie, they think small and they think arty. But, it, you know, it doesn't need to be just that. You can actually um, knock it out of the park as far as revenue and, and really compete with the AAAs on that side of things as well. Yeah, just to add to that really quickly, I just wanted to say that that's kind of why I think that, you know, I have a lot of faith that eventually web three games will be big you know i know there's enough passionate developers out there to where they will create this experience that really takes advantage of blockchain technology and is just really developed from the heart and make this amazing experience and then like you said those games like that that are actually good at a core level they really do make a lot of money and i i think we're just kind of waiting those ideas to take off web3 gaming has been you know it was hot a couple of years ago and people are kind of right now waiting for something to happen but if you think about it it t- takes a couple of years <laughs> takes a takes a long time to develop these games i have a feeling there's a lot of games that are almost done baking in the oven that are going to be releasing soon and we'll actually get to see examples of this yeah awesome and um Going into the flagship rogues game, um, as someone, let's say, it's entirely fresh to Web3 um, gaming and maybe even crypto as a whole, I'm 
starting on Polygon, I'm starting on Near, but what's that experience for me like? Um, obviously there's all of the roadblocks tied to getting my wallet set up, funding that wallet. But after that step, um, am I able to play, do I need to procure an NFT? Like what, what is the onboarding experience like for new users? Yeah, so as of right now, you do need the, the NFT to play, right, on our uh, gaming sessions. But in the future, there will be a way where you don't even need an, an NFT to play. You will just need an email and password, and that's it. So that's how also how we will onboard uh, new people who don't have experience with blockchain. Um, Got it. If, Go if ahead, I Brandon. Cut it really quickly. Sorry, I keep doing that. I just wanted to say you guys have had a very, very smooth onboarding process or nft claiming process for your surprise mint from our first spaces that was like very smooth i think you guys used few and far technology or their contract or something but anyway it was a really smooth experience and i think uh, we touched on that a little bit but allowing gamers to be able to play this game without being bogged down by the intricacies of blockchain tech is very important i think you guys so far have been able to accomplish that it's was the smoothest uh, mint I have ever had for a Web3 game, for sure. Yeah, I'll, I will second that. And also to note, for the, you know, the, the people that are here right now, they are mostly crypto natives. And, and they, you know, I think it's important for having that you know, element of exclusivity that's tied to the community for people to own their digital assets and have access to the game at the earliest possible state. But once that that zero to one journey is complete, the game is fully fleshed out and live, then opening the floodgates, allowing anyone to join in on maybe more of a free to play model as well, will just only boost things and, and accelerate the, the growth. So I think that that really is probably the optimal strategy. Um, and since our first connection the first day made it we had with the rogues where people that attended and, and the communities were able to claim a free rogues nft there have been other mints as well and i'd love to hear more about those and how the the mints kind of play into the overall game experience yeah so after the first mint that we had that was uh free by just going into the game we did have more uh through few and far uh, we minted out, but our most recent mint, it was just a fun mint, right? It, it was also free. And as you can see, uh, plat to evolve is using it as his PFP. And this was Anna, our co-founder's idea to call it Rogue Pepin, right? You saw this, uh, it was the uh, O-Pepin edition explosion on Twitter, right? Everyone was using one, creating their own derivatives. Even marketplaces like Rarible, uh, OpenSea, and I think even... Uh, the Flow blockchain account. I think they even did one themselves. So Anna just wanted to do one with the colors of Rogues, right? Our brand colors, and it was free. But we will have a utility for it, and we actually asked the community, you know, what utility do you want it to have in the World of Rogues game? So a lot of people uh, voted for being an emote, uh, having like a fishing rod that was with the colors of the Rogue Pepin, a Rogue Pepin pen, a pet, uh, a rogue pep and city, like very crazy ideas. So we we voted for them, and the one that won obviously was the rogue pep and pet. 
But that one is going to take a little bit longer. So Morgan will do something else for the meantime. And I believe it's going to be emotes in the game for Rogue Pep and Holders. Am I, am I right, Morgan? Yeah, definitely. I think um, they'll get two for the price of one. They'll get the uh, Rogue Pepin emote. And uh, just to tide them over until I uh, get round to doing the pet, which um, I'm pretty excited about, actually. Uh, it'll probably be the first pet in the game, and that's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, that, that's super. That's super cool. I think the um, just the, the sort of the style of the, um, the Pepins, the O Pepins are, are so cool, and that's going to work very well inside of a game as a pet. And also, I think emotes could, um, you could do some really cool stuff there. And then just, I think for, definitely for me, but I'm sure other people that aren't game developers would be interested in this as well. Like, how big of a haul is it for incorporating these really, these fun, quirky, impactful features? But there's obviously, there's development involved, right? And I guess similarly, looking at quests, like, how much time goes into expanding games, whether it's adding quests or even maybe the smaller stuff as well? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of dev work and it's a lot of dev work for a single dev. I don't, don't like to complain. Um, you know, I, 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 love, I love it, you know, um, but it's a lot of work. It's one of the reasons why we chose 2D was um, because just creating the assets and we have actually in the audience, I think, um, uh, Simone, who's uh, an incredibly talented artist and um, just produces so much good art for the game. We're very, very lucky to have her. And, um, uh, but yes, that was a, cho a choice, both, both sort of aesthetically and also just because we wanted to keep the team size down a bit to be unapologetically 2D. And a lot of the games that we love the most, like uh, Darkest Dungeon and Don't Starve, are 2D games, and, uh, you know, they're, they're wonderful. So, um, so that helps, uh, not having to go away and doing, do 3d models and rigging and all that sort of stuff, um, helps a little bit. Um, but yes, it's, it's a lot of work and, uh, and then also doing all the blockchain stuff as well, as you can imagine, um, uh, flitting between, uh, lots of different languages is, uh, is fun times. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a good, a good way to put it. And I, and I love how you mentioned, your your the, Simone, the team artist that is creating a lot of the in-game assets. That that's incredible to see. Um, but there's also been, I think, a, a lot of improvements um, on like the the AI, the generative AI side for for gaming. Maybe this is pertains more to generating worlds um, from kind of this what I've seen. But have you guys looked into that yet? Uh, as far as integrating some some generative ai support and and how how that could possibly affect the you know the, the speed and also just capacity of, of what's able to be done yeah definitely so as of right now we're thinking of integrating ai to be used on the npcs right to have unique dialogues every time you go and talk to that npc so it's not repetitive right you know you if you want to do a quest again, you know, it would be nice if the dialogue is not the same because it will happen like these uh, other games where you just press skip, 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 skip. You just go directly to the quest, right? So in our game, we really focus on world building. So that's why we want to implement AI into the dialogue of NPCs. 
and yeah, you know, we will explore other ways to implement AI in the game. You know, maybe some, you know, for generating new mazes, which, you know, I, I really want to see in the game. And I always bother Morgan with this, you know, because we used to have a maze in the game and I don't know why it got removed. So yeah, I want to see it back. And I think implementing AI on generating different mazes each day, it would be amazing. Amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and and just imagine if you could play Grand Theft Auto Five, um, and every pedestrian you meet on the street, you could have a full-length generative AI-powered conversation with. I mean, it would it would completely it, it would completely alter that that game experience, and you could spend an hour just talking to any random Joe Schmo on the street, and this the same can be done. Um, in, in any game that's sort of using that for the NPCs. It's going to add an, a completely new dynamic of hilarious interactions, but also way more exciting interactions as well. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, I think there's there's some very interesting experiments in, in um, generating stories and things like that in, in games is one. It's been out for a while, actually, before um, uh, quite a few years, uh, one called AI Dungeon. And, uh, yeah, it does some pretty clever stuff behind the scenes. So, yeah, we've we, we got our eye on it. Also, we, we do use um, some of these tools already for generating ideas and um, uh, just sort of brainstorming. I think AI is quite handy for that as well. Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much how how I'm using it on a daily basis um, for kind of just helping me structure writing and, and getting ideas for my tasks. But um, I guess we've spent a lot of, we've spent a decent amount of time talking about the Rogues, the flagship game and, and season one, everything that's coming with that. But what about Heroes of the Flow? How, how is this game going to complement the ecosystem that you're building? Um, um, yeah, okay, so I'll, I'll take this one initially. Um, maybe um, perhaps it's got a, another take on it. But um, yeah, it's set in the same um, universe. So it's, again, post-apocalyptic. Um, and it's actually been a good opportunity for us to have a think about other um, uh, creatures that uh, live in this um, uh, post-apocalyptic world. So um, at the moment, uh, initially, it's going to be it's going to be straight to mobile. So it's going to be playable on mobile, uh, both Android and iOS. Um, and it's going to be initially just on the Flow blockchain. Um, but obviously, we'll we'll think about uh, going forwards whether you know it makes any sense to bring it to other chains going forwards, um, uh, like World of Rogues. Got it. And it's an auto battler. So like, what does that mean? Yeah. So um, uh, probably the biggest auto battler. Uh, well, there's quite a few actually, but the, the two that have inspired us the most is Hearthstone's Battlegrounds and Super Auto Pets. Uh, that's 
two games that me and Anna probably play too much. So <laughs> they've been massive um, influences on the game. Uh, and, this, and an auto battler is essentially, it's, it's quite cool because you kind of put your minions together, you kind of set it all up, um, and then you click a button and then they go away and they battle. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, and then you have this sort of phase where you then um, like boost up the minions and um, rearrange them and you get higher tier ones as the battles go on. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're a lot of fun. Uh, pretty hard to explain, actually. <laughs> I don't know whether um, perhaps has got a better explanation of an auto battle. Yeah, well, to be honest, like I haven't played a lot of auto butlers, and when I've did, you know, I only played for a few moments. Uh, but but yeah, it's basically what Morgan said, right? You know, you select your minions, you prepare them for battle, you start the battle, and just you know, the minions will fight for you, right? It's like Pokemon, but without you giving them commands every two seconds, right? They do the work themselves. So that's basically an auto butler. And after battle, you know, you have to uh, heal your minions or maybe change. Your minions, you may think, oh, okay, this minion with this one doesn't make sense, so I'm gonna rearrange them, something like that, right? Like you prepare for the battle, but you don't participate in the battle, basically. Yeah, it's the the focus on the strategy, putting together a strategy, and uh, maybe battling against someone else's strategy and, and seeing how everything plays out. That's that's kind of my understanding. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and and something that I'm I, I think is really cool looking at, let's say, The Witcher, where you obviously have the the Witcher game, but then you have Gwent, a card game inside of the Witcher that you can play as Geralt. You can go sit down in a bar and, and play a hand of, of Gwent. But then I, I believe they've also built out like a, a full on um, Gwent game that, that people are, are actively playing, maybe even outside of the Witcher. I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that part, but being able to incorporate kind of the, the games inside of games I, and, and having that under one shared ecosystem it's something that I think is really cool and, and definitely adds to the lore. Um, but but being able to bring um, this directly to mobile, I think that's probably the, the really killer component there. Is, is this going to be um, your your breakout into to mobile gaming through the rogues or will the rogues also have a, a mobile component as well? Yeah, yeah so I mean... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'll go quickly and then, yeah. Um, so, yeah, World of Rogues, we're definitely bringing to mobile. Um, yeah, you've heard it here. Um, <laughs> so we've got to do it. Um, no, we considered we consider um, Rogue Studios being a kind of mobile-first um, studio. So we definitely uh, want all our games on mobile, both Android and iOS, of course. And, um, yeah, just going back to Gwent, yeah, uh, The Witcher was... Uh, and combining a card game in, in The Witcher was fantastic. And I know a lot of people that actually would go and do quests and search around for special cards and stuff. So, yeah, that, that was actually very cool. And that was a bit of inspiration as well. Awesome. And um, I guess looking at what's coming next for the Rogues, I think August is going to be a pretty um, packed month as far as updates and just new things coming to um, the Rogue's ecosystem. Yeah, definitely. So we have a lot of things coming in for this month. 
and one of them that our community is really excited for are the fishing competitions. So we will have fishing competitions. Uh, we don't know exactly what days, but it will probably be weekly. And there will happen in like once we start the game session, there will be 10 minutes only for the fishing competition. So whoever gets the most luck fishing, you know, maybe you get a message in a bottle, which is the most valuable item that you can fish of uh, as of right now. And yeah, so winner will get either an NFT or maybe some near tokens or Polygon tokens. We have to reveal the prices yet. Uh, but yeah, that's one of the things that is coming this month. Another one is the new UI and UX update. So Anna, our co-founder, has been working hard on making the UI look better, it to be more understandable for new people. And yeah, to fit in more with the World of Rogues theme. Uh, also, we have crafting incoming. So actually, in our Twitter, if you look at our latest thread, uh, we do share some images of the new crafting station, which looks very nice. Again, Simon doing an amazing job, as always. And what we talked about before, it's the merge between near wallets and Polygon wallets so that near users can utilize the Polygon in-game items. And last, but our favorite one, it's loot boxes. So how will these loot boxes work? So in the game, while you're doing quests, for example, if you're chopping down a tree or breaking some rock, harvesting some flax, there will be a very slight chance of you discovering a loot box. And right now, the prices will have to be given manually. So if you get a loot box, you know, you send us a screenshot, Morgan will check the backend code and see if you're not lying. If you're not lying, then we will do like a wheel spinner and there will be different prices again from like NFTs to tokens. Awesome. Um, I'm curious about the logic behind crafting. Like how, how maybe from a non-technical description, how, how do you do that? How is that accomplished? Yeah, so... Um... At the moment, in season one, everybody is working towards unlocking areas of the map. And one of the things that you can unlock, and it's actually a personal quest, all the other quests are shared quests. So everybody's working towards or have been working. I mean, Vault Guard at the start of the season was just a forest, right? There was just forest, just rocks and stuff. And now we're starting to see the footpaths. Um, they they uh, cleared out the lakes and now people can fish. So it's been a journey already, right? And, um, and so as they build out Vault Guard, um, at some point, um, I don't want to spoil when, you will be able to craft a crafting bench. And then once you've crafted that, then you can go up to that and you can start um, you can start turning wood and stone into something else. Um, I don't want to spoil it too much. So, uh, um, yeah, it's exciting times ahead. And the loot boxes are dropping possibly today. Depends, um, depends if the uh, random, uh, random gods favor us. There's some uh, some alpha just dropped, guys. That that's that's super exciting. Um, yeah, love to hear it. That that's incredible. Um, and then also, just to make sure I'm I'm understanding correctly, for the shared quests, there's a a finite amount of quests, and once those quests are solved, that's 
maybe the, the end of the quests for that season. So if I complete quests one, two, and three, those are, those are completed. And now users need to complete quests four, five, and six. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. So they've, um, they've completed what about four global quests now, perhaps. And, um, Yes, we've got quite a few more. Um, perhaps doesn't know how many more, and I forget. Um, but yes, we've got quite a few more global quests to complete before the end of the season. And then um, at the end of the season, uh, that's Vault Guard um, rebuilt. And everybody has pitched in to help do that, which is kind of cool. That's incredible. And and do is that... Um... The, the quest accomplishments in season one, is that what will go to the in-game statue to sort of um, memorate the people that completed the highest level of quest? Is that kind of how that's tied together? Yeah, you got it. That's exactly how that works. So the people that have um, chopped down the most trees and, and um, basically progressed bulb guard the most, um, they're the ones that are going to get rewarded um, with immortality, right? Immortality on the cent central statue of Vault Guard that they've helped build. Got it. And like, let's look at, I guess, just the tree cutting component. Um, I know in RuneScape, people would spend hours and days chopping trees, um, going from yews to firs and I think even in some for some period of time, people were kind of like botting that experience and just constantly cutting down trees with like a level three character. Um, for for the rogues game, are the trees going to be finite assets or do they replenish as well, um, similar to like RuneScape? Yeah, they do replenish. Uh, we have trees that. Um can't be cut down at the moment. So who knows? There may be better items that you can craft that will enable you to cut down those trees that are just standing there at the moment, just um, bumming their nose at you because you, and you can't cut them down at the moment. Right on. Yeah, you'll need, need the, uh, the rune pickaxe <laughs> or the, the rune axe, I should say. Um, but uh, that, that's great, guys. I mean, super excited. It, it really is a, a, a full-scale experience that you're building, um, and it, it's incredible to me just to see how how far you continue to come every time we we meet and we talk with each other. You know, it's just a, a couple of months later, and there's there's so many things to do. Um, it, it is very inspiring and exciting to see, and I guess just kind of looking at things now that we're wrapping up for the day, going into season two and beyond. What are some of the main I guess, deliverables and roadmap items that you're excited for looking beyond August? Um, good question. Um, so we're looking, obviously, at season two and what that sort of um, entails. And... Um, probably going to be land and housing right um which i'm super excited about uh, it's one of the things that i like most about um mmos is that you get a you get a piece of land and you can develop it yourself and invite people around to help you out and um i think it's going to be a little bit like a 
Um, well, I don't want to say too much, but it's going to definitely going to be something where you're going to have to have your friends around to help you build out your, your areas and stuff. So that that's, I'm super looking forward to that. Um, and then of course, uh, PVP, um, you know, we're a cooperative game and we, you know, that we're focused on that at the moment, but you know, foxes need to let off steam, right. And, uh, they need to have a little bit of a barb rule. And so we're going to be adding that as well. Right on. Super exciting, guys. Um, Brandon, Monza, any any questions from your end that we haven't hit on yet? I do have a question, and, you know, we don't have to spend too much time on that. It's already one. But um, I wanted to ask you, Morgan, is there any challenges or obstacles that you guys are facing right now when trying to port your game over to um, the App Store, the iOS Store, or Google, the Google Play Store? Is there any difficulties making um, Rogue World into a mobile game? I guess some more clarification on on uh, regulations, um, having crypto transactions, stuff like that. Because I know in the past that they've kind of been against that, but I don't know if the policies are changing. Um, I hear they're relaxing a little bit. Um, of course, we'll be testing uh, the waters a bit with um, Heroes of the Flow, but I'm pretty confident that that won't have any problems. We actually have we we actually had a, a demo beta version that was on Flow Testnet, and it didn't have a problem at all being on there. So um, uh, yeah, I think World of Rogues may 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 have slightly more difficulties but i think it will be fine um but um yeah we'll see i think i think they're getting a little bit more relaxed about this sort of stuff yeah from from kind of what i've seen it does does appear that the google play store has made the first really big um i guess increase in um offerings for blockchain based games um based on some updated terms and conditions which in my mind tells me that that's the direction the entire industry will go. Um, it will be a matter of time before similar standards are adopted by um, Apple as well. So I'm I, seeing that a few months ago uh, made me very optimistic, but having to navigate those, these legacy web two entities is, you know, that, that's certainly difficult and it's a shame that they're, you know, they haven't been as, accepting of, of blockchain games till now but uh, yeah i do see that changing and i think that's going to be another one of those really big catalyst moments but um yeah guys um over to over to the rogues team if there's anything that we haven't touched on yet if you want to um make sure that we we dive into or just um announce before we wrap up for the day Yeah, well, I mean, there's still so many things to share, right? But we don't have the time. So what I can share is that uh, we're live on Twitch right now. One of our community, uh, Alid, I think he was here. He's here in the audience. So he will be streaming today on Twitch, the game World of Rogue. So feel free to to go check it out or join our Discord. Join us in Hangouts, you know, let's chat, let's play. So, yeah, that's all that I can say right now. Awesome. All righty, guys. Well, I think we can go ahead and, and wrap up for the day, Rogues team. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been um, super informative and just, again, 
100% more bullish than I was um, just last time we spoke. So congrats, guys, on, on all of the uh, hard work and success. Love to see it. Um, Brandon Monza, just for looking at the rest of the week um, for Near at Night, anything that we want to make sure we highlight before we um, sign off for the day? Yeah, um, tomorrow will probably just be in open spaces going over crypto crypto news and updates. But on Thursday, we actually have a special spaces at 3 p.m. EDT, 3 p.m. Eastern time, where we will dive into the House of Merit and be talking with the NDC on any questions anyone has about the House of Merit, its responsibilities, what powers the nominees will have, and just talking about the elections. So anyone who just wants to know more about the House of Merit or any anyone that is running, it'd definitely be a great time to show up and ask the NDC anything that you you want to hear. So yeah, that's it. Perfect. Sounds good, guys. Well, we'll see you tomorrow and excited for uh, the House of Merit conversation on Thursday. We'll, we'll see you then. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Bye, everyone.